Welcome to Roundhouse Kicks. Today we're talking about the sneaker history of London, England. A few weeks back, we started our City Stories series by talking about the sneaker history of the Big Apple, New York City, where we focused on the bond between New Yorkers and Uptowns, otherwise known as Air Force Ones. In episode two, we spent time in Tokyo, Japan, and its fashion district, Harajuku, which is one of the world's great street culture hubs. We talked about the Air Max 95 and its seismic impact on that island and helping to create sneaker culture as a whole and contribute to an obsession with sneakers in Tokyo that has not waned since. And while London has an equally rich history with that particular sneaker and the Air Max line as a whole, it's important that we first set the scene. London is not a basketball city. Places where the NBA has invested the most time naturally become places where basketball is played and adored. And with the whole of Europe being a soccer continent, the NBA has historically focused on countries where they don't have to battle the world's most popular sport for airtime. As such, London didn't come to sneakers through kids watching their favorite ball players dunk and swish on TV and at arenas around the country. No, to best understand London sneaker history, you must first understand something called terrace culture. Terrace culture is a fashion movement born out of a love of soccer called football in the UK and basically everywhere outside of the United States and Canada, which is a far more logical name for the sport than whatever soccer is supposed to mean. In the UK, where the sport is a religion and a way of life, more than a pastime, as our pro sports tend to be here, people pack soccer stadiums which can have seat capacities of anywhere from 50 to 90,000 to watch their favorite teams battle it out. In these stadiums, there is an area usually made out of concrete and placed out of the way on either side of the field called a terrace standing room only area that offers cheaper ticket options. The terraces therefore became popular amongst the working class and the younger teenaged contingent of soccer fans. And as is often the case, filling the terraces with lower income younger age soccer fanatics meant that they would be the rowdiest parts of the stadium and the areas most identified with a concerning movement in the 1970s known as football hooliganism which was comprised of gangs of youth and young adults who would scour the city streets and stadium stands looking for fans of opposing teams to begin a brawl with. Law enforcement has cracked down on hooliganism in the last few decades, and it's been mostly driven underground. But back in the 70s, it was alive and well. It existed in the terraces, and it included a uniform, which would go on to encompass terrace culture, also known as terrace wear, also known as football casuals. It, in essence, consisted of skinny jeans or cords, V-neck sweaters or zip-up track jackets from Adidas or Puma, Adidas soccer tees with three stripes on either sleeve, perhaps a scarf, a cap, or and soccer or tennis sneakers like Adidas Sambas, Gazelles, Stan Smiths, or later Campus 80s. This terrace wear or football casuals style has come roaring back in the past few years with Adidas Sambas in particular experiencing a massive resurgence in popularity and attracting all sorts of collaborative and general release hype all over the world. But to be honest, terrace culture mostly existed in the northern cities of the United Kingdom, cities like Manchester, Liverpool, and Leeds. What was happening down south in London town was less about soccer fanaticism and more about, well, crime and money. 
Sneaker culture in America is inextricably intertwined with hip-hop and basketball. NBA basketball has done the wise thing in the past few decades, particularly under the leadership of Commissioner Adam Silver, and embraced hip-hop and all it has to offer and share with the game. There's even an adage that all rappers want to be ballers and all ballers want to be rappers. And with J. Cole playing semi-pro ball in Africa and Canada the past few years, and Damian Lillard having just released his fifth studio album this past August under his rapping moniker Dame Dalla, that adage is not far from the truth. And while basketball is not the thing in London that it is in other parts of the world, its influence on sneaker culture is still easy to find, mainly thanks to a subgenre of rap music called grime, which is London's own and features a melting pot of musical styles including EDM, dancehall reggae, two-step, and UK garage, which itself is made up of dance, pop, and R&B. Grime was popularized by artists such as Wiley and Dizzy Rascal, the latter of whom is pictured on several of his album covers wearing Air Max sneakers and on his 2013 album The Fifth wearing Jordan 3s. In 2011, Dizzy got to wear his own Air Maxes on the cover of his Tongue and Cheek album. The Dizzy Rascal Tongue and Cheek Air Max 90s were a mostly all-white sneaker with pink tongues that said tongue on one and cheek on the other. Simple, easy, and brilliant. The shoes came in a limited edition, sold out quickly, and have since sold for thousands per pair, and that's if you can find them at all. But while Dizzy and Grime made waves in the UK in the early 2000s, the last decade of hip-hop in London has moved away from dance, pop, and garage and moved closer to trap, the predominant form of rap in America the past few decades. Now rappers like Dave, Central C, Jay Huss, and Giggs are delivering songs filled with fierce raps delivered over sparse, dark trap beats about the London drug scene. And the mentions in these songs about sneakers, Air Maxes mainly, but also Jordans and occasionally New Balance or Reebok, are vast. Interestingly, there seems to be a divide in the UK in regards to where Adidas fits into the sneaker cultural melting pot. Anything to do with the three stripes is still seen as terrace wear and is mostly left to northerners. London these days is all about their Nikes or Nikes as it's pronounced there. I'm sure you can still find Yeezys and Sambas and the odd superstar on the streets of London if you pay attention, but the culture there is much more focused on Air Max and Jordan. UK rap star AJ Tracy not only called his 2021 album Flu Game, but wore a pair of Jordan Jordan 1 shattered backboards on the cover. Why he called the album Flu Game but wore shattered backboards on the cover, I don't know, but I'm sure he has an explanation somewhere. Nike dominance and sneaker culture as it is today in London started with the same shoe Tokyo Japan's sneaker culture started with, the Air Max 95 Neon. You can hear more about the 95's beginnings and eventual world domination in our City Series Tokyo episode, but the short version is that the AM95 Neon dropped in America in 1995, perplexed the running and sneaker communities there, but took hold in places like Tokyo and London, where sneaker enthusiasts loved the bold new design, one based on the anatomy of the human foot, and the bright and loud gray and neon color palette, which, despite its boldness, somehow went with everything. In London, the 95s came to be known as 110s because the shoes cost £110 when they were first released there, which was a lot. 
That's more like 220 pounds today, the equivalent of 280 US dollars. This year, London fashion boutique and designers Cortese dropped three different colorways of the Air Max 95, releases that caused chaos and a level of sneaker hype many thought was dead, and sold them in London for 110 pounds, a nod and in tribute to the original price tag of the shoe in the UK. Since their introduction into London fashion in the mid-90s, the Air Max 95s have been a mainstay and an essential part of the uniform of London youth, particularly youth who may or may not be up to no good. And while I don't want to put too fine a point on the marriage between Air Max sneakers and lawlessness in London, in much the same way that drug dealers in New York City were responsible for the Timberland boom, drug crimes and criminals had a lot to do with the Air Max line's popularity in some of London's rougher streets and alleyways. In fact, in 2007, London police said that the recognizable tread of the Air Max 95 was the footprint most often left at crime scenes, with the Reebok Classic coming in at number two. In fact, six of the top ten footprints left at crime scenes were all from Nike shoes. And identifying footprints at crime scenes became such an integral part of the investigation process that the London police actually developed something called the Footwell Footwear Intelligence Technology System, or FIT for short. And no, that's not a joke. London police gather around a crime scene and try to determine a criminal's fit using FIT. But why are the 95s an integral part of the uniform of those who are up to no good? I honestly think it has a lot to do with the 110 pound price point when they first released. As I said, 110 pounds in 1995 was a lot of money for a pair of running shoes and consumers were irate about it. But whenever a product shows up on the marketplace that isolates consumers due to its price point, there arrives a whole other contingent of shoppers who are who are attracted to the shoes mostly due to that price point. A look what I can afford and you can't sort of mentality that supersedes the quality or style of the shoes themselves and allows them to become a bragging right. So you would think that hustlers and dealers and thieves on the streets of one of the world's busiest cities would naturally be attracted to these shoes because they show that that man or woman is particularly good and adept at what they do. Like someone who buys an expensive sports car they can't afford to show up to business meetings with. Some things are all about that first impression. But by no means is the Air Max line the end-all, be-all of footwear in London. The sneaker blog Hype Base said in 2022 that the sneaker that sold the most units in the city was actually the Air Jordan 1, which I'm sure has as much to do with the vast number of units and colorways and collaborations and retro editions of the shoe Nike pumps out on an almost weekly basis, far, far more attention than Nike pays to the Air Max 95 or the Air Max line in general, as it does with the popularity of the sneaker overall. Although there are places like Dover Street Market, places which are adept at curating their store's inventory to specifically suit the needs of the current cultural trends and trendsetters, where you are still just as likely to find a wall full of Air Max as a wall full of Jumpmen. Dover Street Market, or DSM for short, is a London-based boutique which opened its doors in 2014, fashioning itself after the famous Kensington Street Market of the 1960s, a three-story fashion palace of its time which catered to trends and fashions on the edges of the societal norm. 
DSM was opened by Rei Kawakubo, the Japanese fashion designer who started the luxury streetwear brand Comme des Garçons in Tokyo and Paris. Dover Street was a big success, garnered rave reviews, and opened accounts with all of the world's biggest fashion brands, carrying everything from Vans to Balenciaga, Gucci, and Louis Vuitton. They host all of the latest and rarest collaborations in fashion, streetwear, and sneakers. If there are, say, 200 pairs of a super rare Jordan collab, you can bet that Dover Street will be getting, I don't know, 50, 60 of them. Today, DSM has seven locations worldwide, including stores in New York, LA, Singapore, and Tokyo. It's one of the city's go-tos when shopping for kicks, with other homegrown London sneaker staple brick and mortars like End, Foot Patrol, Size, and Kick Game. Kick Game in particular is so popular that they're giving Complex a run for their money in the YouTube game. They have their own sneaker shopping show, which has featured celebrity guests such as BMX star Nigel Sylvester, record label mogul Dame Dash, pro soccer player Leon Bailey, as well as a whole host of rap stars from the UK and around the world, such as Ray Stremmerd, Jadakiss, and Chic Louch, NLE Choppa, Fredo, Neo, Lil Yachty, and many, many more. The Kick Game YouTube channel also features many conversational shows about the latest and greatest in London sneakers, streetwear, and music, often with special guests and always with great hosts. On a recent episode of Kick Games Just In, a show where hosts Dan and Josh talk about the latest sneaker-related goings-on, they had a very interesting and informative back and forth about whether the Jordan 1 was dead in London. They held up a pair of the recently released Jordan 1 High Washed Black, a very wearable sneaker covered in gray suede and white leather, which Dan and Josh posited would have sold out in no time a couple of years ago and which are now available in most places for retail or less. Does the relative failure of the J1 Washed Black signify the death of that particular silhouette in the Jordan catalog? Perhaps. As far as Dan and Josh are concerned, it all boils down to market oversaturation. There are just too many Jordans to choose from these days, which could help explain the sudden rise of the Adidas Samba, the Y2K mesh runner boom, or Gorp core in the form of Salomon, Stone Island, and the North Face. With the final few Yeezys dribbling out of Adidas and Jordan brand marketplace oversaturation, people are looking elsewhere for footwear inspiration and collection choices. And in London, where soccer still rules the sport universe, where the effects of terrace culture in the 70s can still be seen, and where world-renowned street markets mixing hipster bohemia with luxury fashion have become the first and last stop of limited edition sneaker collaborations, you can bet that as soon as something becomes ubiquitous, it becomes stale and inspires sneaker freaks to adopt the next hot thing. Or if not that, then at least something new something with the power to turn heads because no matter how historically significant how wearable the color or how limited the collaboration after seeing your 200th pair of jordan ones on oxford street in a single afternoon you stop noticing them altogether because to a sneakerhead the only thing worse than never wearing the shoes that you buy is wearing shoes that nobody notices in london that would be referred to as bollocks So there you go. That's a short but informative stop in London town and its sneaker history and current climate. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully 
you can now consider yourself an expert on the topic. So this was our 20th episode and final episode of season one. Thank you very, very much for listening and hanging out over the past few months. Roundhouse Kicks is going to take some time off to prepare for season two, but we'll be back in a few weeks time to bring you more sneaker related history, discussion, opinions, and other goodies. If you liked this episode and want more where that came from, I encourage you to go back and check out some of the episodes you missed this season. And if you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know someone who might like the show, please share it with them. Sneakerheads are one big happy family, after all. We take care of each other, we look out for each other, and yes, we fight with each other at times, like most families do. And I, for one, wouldn't have it any other way. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you in a few weeks.